Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. My name is Beth Hardy and I'm here to talk to you about parenting, what it means to you and different ways of looking at it. You may have broken free of the chains of the cycles that have been passed on to you from your family of origin, but are you stepping in the direction which is supportive of where you want to be? So we examine all things from things to do with partners, teenagers, younger kids, blowing your top, self-care and more. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here we go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Beyond Parenting. And today we've got an amazing guest called Vicky Drake. Vicky is a parent coach and she has had a wonderful, interesting journey through her parenthood. She talks to us about her decisions around birth there and I'm going to tell you some trigger warnings because there are a number of things that came up. So there is talk about home birth, there is talk about unassisted birth. We also dig in and talk about um the education system, we talk about midwives and the medical system. We talk about, so with school, we talk about going to school, about coming out of school. We talk about bullying. We talk about eating disorders. We talk about a lot of, and mental health issues, a lot of mental health issues. And to be honest with you, every single podcast, we're going to be talking about mental health issues. Um, and um, so we talk about all those things, but it's a really fun, lively chat, digging into lots of different aspects of decision making and really feeling empowered and trusting your intuition. Vicky has used her intuition to guide her entire life and it's set her in good stead for having the dream perfect life that she has wanted. But it didn't come easy and lots of it she had to work for and work at to get where she needs to be, um, where she really wanted to be. And now she is having a wonderful time in her her wonderful life doing exactly the things that she wants to do. So I really urge you to listen and enjoy um, Vicky and her wonderful story. Hi, Vicky. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Parenting. How are you today? I'm okay, Beth. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So you're here because you've got some interesting stories to tell us about your life as a parent. So it started actually when you were pregnant because you made some different decisions about what you were going to do when it came to giving birth. Do you want to fill us in a bit about, about that, Vicky? Yeah, I'd love to. So... Yeah, like you say, it started when I was pregnant. Um, in fact, it started long before I was pregnant, probably really? 17 years before that. Oh, wow. Um, when my little brother was born. Um, I'm one of five. My mum had my little brother, our fifth, at home. Okay. And I was, I was 17 at the time. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, I was 17 at the time. And I watched him being born into the world. Wow. And it was amazing and in that moment I just made the decision that I would have a home birth never thought okay. anything of it you know, just... so roll on 29 and when I have my first baby I'm having a home birth and everybody's everybody and their dog had an opinion on it oh and I got right. everybody's birth story mm. none of them were pleasant <laughs> they were all mm. kind of warnings you know oh my neighbors did this and this and my sister's dog and blah blah and I was like, hang on a minute, you know, why is nobody giving me any optimism here? And um, yeah. I just remember thinking, well, your uterus is different to mine. <laughs> this is my body. Mm. I'm just going to go with what feels right for me. And I'm very, very intuitive. And it was very much an intuitive decision. It, I knew. And when I visualized myself in a hospital, my whole body was like, Ugh. I, I could not put myself in that environment to yeah. me. No, this is different for everybody but for me personally hospitals had been associated with with sickness and death yes so I didn't for me I didn't want to go there and you know bring in a life bring life life. bring life when it was yeah yeah it it just just felt Mm -hmm. wrong so I made the decision to have a home birth and even my husband initially was against it 
not against it, but not. He was well, he was worried, of course, you know, because everybody told him the stories as well. All the yes. men at once. <laughs> oh, yeah. hospital having the baby, and oh no, she's having it at home. Oh well, my wife, this, my my sister, that. So you know, he yeah. was worried. But one thing for me, what I know, and I know from ignoring it for many years, that when my intuition speaks, I need to listen, or I'll regret it. Mm. I just listened and I thought right I trust my body with this mm. and I know that I'm a little bit stubborn and when I put my mind to something I, I commit and I knew that if I'd got my mindset right and I know now you know in hindsight why that worked so well but I didn't at the time I just knew if I got my mm. mind right that I'd be okay and I just believed that I could do it so Sorry, did did um did you have any issues then with with your with your partner on that? Like, did he struggle with the comments, and did he come on board enough with you? Yeah, initially he struggled, as I think you know most people would. Initially he struggled, but one thing he does have is one hundred percent belief in me. So because I was doing all of my research, and you know I was making sure that it was safe. I wasn't going to go into it like blind. I was making sure that I knew what I needed to know. And so as I relayed things to him, he started to get on board. And then he started, you know, as he got the negative comments, he started relaying these things to people as well. So yeah, he was completely on board um, by the time it came to it. And right. He talked on my birth pool and he was absolutely amazing support during the labor as well um so it was absolutely phenomenal and in fact I've had all my babies at home so I've had three um I was second labor because the first one the only downside to it was when the midwives interfered and in hindsight again my intuition was telling me no 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 when they were telling me what to do mm-hmm. I instinctively knew what I needed to do but they were telling me not like not to do that and of course like most women you hand over to the like you know in that you're so vulnerable in that moment yeah you hand over to those who know better to the experts so I listened yeah. and I did what I was told and I got out of the pool and and that's when the birth kind of went downhill a bit in the last couple of hours were, were right hard. um and so in the second time round, I actually had an unassisted birth so it was just me and my husband right so him being skeptical at the beginning of the first birth he was fully supportive of just me and him being there at the second. Right. That's that's a really that's quite a radical thing because many people yeah. do home births, but unassisted births. I have got a couple of friends who've had them inadvertently, but planning for one is quite a I, I looked into it myself. Um, not to actually do it because I used to teach hypnobirthing, so it was part and parcel of my my research. But what so you obviously came to that. But how did you manage that within the system? So what happened after I had my first, because although things went downhill towards the end, and it was, it was, I wouldn't, I, I love giving birth. I'm going to be honest. I actually really enjoy the process. I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but I, I think it puts you in such a deep meditative place because you're so in the moment. You and can't I'm not going, be, ah, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've got a million thoughts in my head at any one time. So to be just there just in the moment was so beautiful um and so what I did when I finished sorry after when I was went back to work I knew I had to be self-employed so I had a little, obviously I had my little girl I needed to leave work and somebody gave me a leaflet for um it was called Daisy Birthing at the time it's Lazy Daisy uh, Birthing was it yeah it's yeah. 12 years ago anyway someone gave me a leaflet and I just thought this is it this is it so I certified with Lazy Daisy and became a birth mentor uh-huh. and for five years I ran the birthing classes so by the time I had yeah. my second daughter I'd been through all this training and as I was going through the training I was like oh my all these light bulbs of why my body was saying no mm. why I need like yeah. why I knew what I was doing was right yes and how because I ended up with the um retained placenta with my first and as I went through the the train and I could see why I why? could see yeah. why it yeah. happened and this is please don't anybody listen and think this is by any means point and blame midwives they were fantastic but they are trained in, like to in a medical way rather than yeah. the natural way and if if we just step back a little bit then we can yeah. do it 
with with that assistance you know but yeah because you you do have lots of different people midwives with different experiences don't you and that they can bring different things with it I know from from me I live in Sheffield and we have a really amazing gold standard birthing team for home birth will have had had for for a good period of time and those were like the people who could who were also like um, independent midwives so those are the ones who really really know and understand and they know about the line on your back and all of that sort of stuff for people at home go and research it <laughs> I'm not going to go into it right now but you'll know what I mean Vicky um but yeah what was my point even yeah the, but the differences in midwives so you're right the a lot of midwives especially if they've spent a lot of time in hospital have got that very much medicalized perspective on it on it and actually intervention and obviously they're they've got partly in the back of their minds litigation and all of that haven't they yeah, so. so sad. it's so sad and that law even comes into it but mm. so many midwives are sued and it is awful that they're doing this they they go to serve in that capacity to serve mm. women which is beautiful and then law you know the, the fact that the law even comes into it is it's just so sad because yeah. it can just be two women in a room supporting each other and a husband yeah. if he wants to be there you know and, and it's, yeah mm. but in, in terms of how I manage that within the system so again everything all the decisions I make are intuitive you know so some people listening might think oh my god I wouldn't dare if, especially if they've had a traumatic birth themselves I wouldn't dare have an unassisted birth yeah and I totally understand that and I, what people need to realize is I wasn't afraid. And it's the fear that affects the labor yeah. because that then, you know, affects your adrenaline and then that affects your muscles and your oxygen levels. Yeah. So because I wasn't afraid and because my intuition told me this is what you need to do, I was okay. And I did intend to ring the midwives and I did ring the midwives. And anyone in the um, UK may remember this. She was born the 28th of June, 2012. It was dubbed Thunder Thursday because it was the biggest storm the UK had had in like decades. And that was the night she was born. Oh, wow. So we laboured, I laboured just me and my husband and my sister was there upstairs with, the, with our uh, little girl who was two and a half at the time. And it was just the most beautiful labour. It was so beautiful. And then once... I knew that I was at the point where she was coming. I didn't know it was a girl, but when she was coming, I just asked my husband to go and ring the midwives. And it was perfect. I believe in divine timing. I wanted unassisted. I got him to ring the midwives. They, had it not been for the storm, they would have been there on time. But when they got in, she'd only right. been born five minutes. So they were literally five minutes behind. Yeah. She came out, it had this beautiful five minutes. And then the midwives came in and they said, oh, if it wasn't for the storm, we would have been here five minutes ago. So it worked out perfectly. So I had her mm. exactly how I wanted her. And then I had the support that I needed from the midwives as well when I needed it. And then with my third, I chose to have midwives because I'd been through different things and I was a little bit anxious that time. So because I had anxiety, I didn't want an unassisted birth. I didn't mm. want to go to hospital. I wanted them out of the home birth but I wanted the support of the midwives and they were fabulous. Right. So you kind of didn't like go wholeheartedly planning on doing a, an assistant. You kind of wanted it, but you weren't planning on it in that, in that yeah, sense. You planning. were planning on getting them to come, but kind of hoping that it didn't oh, work yeah, out. Yeah. yeah I, I'm I, with I you. basically handed over. I trusted what will be, will be. This is what I want, but I'm open because I'd can't, I don't think we should like yeah. restrict ourselves to anything mm. because have that open-mindedness especially when it comes to to birth so for me I just thought well that's that's my dream yeah but I'm gonna ring the midwives also and then like I say it worked out perfectly yeah but yeah there was, there's when um and obviously I told nobody <laughs> well very few people that I was planning an unassisted birth because there was enough of a reaction when you're having a home birth oh yeah <laughs> so you can imagine if you start telling people you're having an unassisted birth it's like a, a total no goes on. So no, just, because people would be people would be saying, "Well, you're basically a baby murderer." Like that is like that is the mentality yeah. you'd get in response to that. I, I've heard it, so I, I know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. But no, it, it all it all worked perfectly, and mm-hmm. I, I make all my parenting decisions based on intuition, and right. most of them go completely against the grain. So yeah. when you talk about 
not born with mainstream parent and that's me to a T and yeah. it's because of my intuition and I think most people if they're really honest probably would go against the mainstream if they also listen to their intuition but for most people it's fear yeah everything's fear-based I don't know I don't know it's, it's either like comes from an ignorant space where they don't haven't been open um haven't been opened up to the information or they just like see it and like oh no I couldn't do that I couldn't I haven't got it in me to do that and that's what I found with what I loved about when I was doing the act of birth teaching was the empowerment when women came in especially if they'd already had a labor if if they'd already had a baby and had difficult labor they would sit in that room and when I would go through because it was active in the sense it was yoga based but it was also lots of um birth education and the, the light bulbs would go and they would be like oh my god I didn't breathe I held my breath the whole way through labor I didn't breathe you know and just given that, mm. that information they were so empowered and it's yeah. not it wasn't about natural birth because however we give birth we're given birth it's about being empowered yeah so for those moms who had a c-section they still said that was amazing I felt so yeah. empowered because they knew the process they trusted themselves but they were open to any possibilities. So, you know, if it ended in a C-section, they still felt confident because they knew why. It's not- Yeah, they'd ask the questions and everything, right? Yeah, it's the same sort of- It's the same sort of thing that we um, teach. Well, I taught in hypnobirthing as well, the same sort of stuff. And it is just about empowering people and to feel confident in themselves and their body is made to do it, right? (laughs) Because we're told that it's not. I know. And it, it it really saddens me. It does, because I just think the, the pressure on the NHS as well and things, it, it would be so much less. And there would the, the natural births would be so much higher. And then the cost, you know, because there's a cost to the NHS for all these medical interventions, they would be so much lower. And they are getting lower because there is a, companies like Lazy Daisy. They do. They are doing a lot of work from, yeah. from when I had my eldest, who's 12, to when I had my youngest, who's two. The difference just in that 10 years is incredible how the education has changed. They're moving, they're moving that way, aren't they? The tide is turning. I remember when I did my training, it was like the tide is turning. I'm like, really, really? But that was a while ago now. (laughs) But yeah, I feel you're right. It has turned a lot in the right direction. Well, in this country anyway, I'm not so sure in all the countries around the world because the C-section rates are still going through the roof, right? In places yeah. like Brazil and stuff, so. Yeah. But yeah, that's in a nutshell. That's my, well, not really was a big nutshell. That one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where my parenting journey started against the green before I even had children. Mm. Um, and then I guess the, the, not necessarily the second one, but uh, the other main one that kind of sticks out is, is with home education right and I'm I'm what I call a reluctant home educator (laughs) it kind of happened but also strangely enough I know it was meant to um again I actually met with a friend yesterday and had lunch and I hadn't seen her for probably about six years we've been friends 20 odd years and she said I remember Vicky like years ago you talking about home education and and the, the the education system how you didn't agree with it and how you know how you would love to see it and what you thought should be taught and you know I, yeah, I can't even remember all that but I did I, I always and I loved school so this isn't because I didn't have a good school experience I actually really loved school because I really love learning so for me I just it's again this deep sense that the education system isn't working it needs to change and I think mm. a lot of parents and I think a lot of teachers feel the same yeah <clears throat> So for me, um, when Katie, my eldest, was due to go to school, again, this intuition, oh, my God, don't send her. And I knew, I knew she wasn't meant to go to school. However, when I had my second daughter, she literally had, um, oh, I can't think of the word now, silent reflux. And she slept. She literally never slept for more than 30 minutes at a time for years on end. And I developed chronic insomnia and that was you know when people talk about their dark night of the soul oh that was my gosh dark night of the soul because I had yeah. a two-year-old very active two-year-old and a baby that quite literally didn't sleep and that oh. was when as a mother like when I had my first I was so empowered I loved it I loved every minute I was one of these who's like 
oh my god I've come alive like motherhood was what I'd waited for my whole life and then my second daughter came along and I, I nearly broke <laughs> You know, it's so funny, Vicky, you're saying this. You like, your life seems to mirror mine almost exactly. It's so funny. <laughs> like we started off with that. And then I had an easy first child. And then my second one came along two and a half years later. And it was like, bang. <laughs> bang. This oh is my real motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you've had it easy. You don't know what this is, yeah. this is all about yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. My first, yeah, she, she went in her own room at six months. You know, like I, I, try, I did all these things and she, everything was just easy. She was a textbook baby. Um, and then my second was like, nah, <laughs> 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 not going to do any of that. Um, and yeah, and I, I felt like I went through an identity crisis purely because I was so exhausted. And anybody. You weren't sleeping. That's torture. Yeah, sleep deprivation knows it literally changes who you are and it went on for years so when it came to the decision of sending Kate to school despite this intuition yeah I needed her gone <laughs> I needed her to go yeah. to school right I just I knew that in order for me to be the best mom I could be for them I needed time to really recoup because although like Bobby would have been one and a half, two thereabouts then when Katie started school. I can't work it out picking off my head. Um, I was still kind of in that place. I was getting better, mm. but I was still in that place of my body needed to catch up on years of no sleep. So I made the decision to send her to school. Before you go on to talk more about that, I've just wanted to see if you could talk talk to us a bit more about the um your experiences with this sleep deprivation because I know there'll be a lot of parents out there who are in that similar boat and actually in it right now and they'll be like oh don't skip over that bit I want to hear more about that please how did you actually get through what did you do for solidarity what were your did you find anything that worked anything that didn't work yes Okay, where do I start? Um, okay, so my second was born, my second daughter was born in June 2012. And those first six months, I think, were such a blur. I was just so exhausted. And what I remember is Katie at the time went to nursery just two days a week. Mm. And I used to pray for Tuesday and Wednesday. Not, not, not to get rid of her in that way, but just because one baby was so much easier than having a toddler running about yeah so I would literally take a nursery I'd come home I'd jump to bed I'd take my top off and I'd have skin to skin with Bobby and it was like yeah and in those two days I would get a week's worth of work done and I used to think how was it so hard with one baby (laughs) I know it's like a military operation to leave the house and then you have your second mm. and you're like, what was all the fuss about? I mean, I can do everything. <laughs> and it's, it's all about what you what you know, isn't it? And at the beginning, yes, it is awful and really hard when you have one. And but like when you have two, you're like, really? Yeah. But yeah. also all those first time worries when you're a first time. Yes. Man, you've been through them. So when your first one gets the first temperature or gets the first tooth or, you know, you're kind of prepared and you know what's going to happen. Yeah. But for me, what happened, so she was born in the June and in the December, my grandma died. And so on top of all this exhaustion and um, I was then grieving and it was really, really difficult. And I didn't have any support. I've got an amazing husband, um, but he works six days a week and he doesn't get home at six o'clock at night. So once he got in, I would be like, poof initially and I'm just going to say this because I know someone's going to be thinking it initially I used to just sit downstairs when he got home because I felt too guilty to go upstairs because I knew he'd yeah. been at work all day so oh, I would god I, yeah and like not, you hadn't been working like you hadn't been giving your all <laughs> my, my job started at five o'clock in the morning because yeah. Bobby didn't sleep all night she woke up at five o'clock in the morning. That was my the start of my day. Yeah. I would literally get on into bed at 10 o'clock. I would sit on the end of the bed and cry because I knew the night shift was about to start. And I would cry. And then I'd get into bed and I would be awake for most of the night, literally most of the night. And of my, you know when your body does that little jolt when you fall asleep and then she would wake and one mil. And I would just, I like all my days and for me like I've every decision I've ever made my whole life has been based around my children long before I had them 
I went to university because I wanted a good job. You know, I, I knew what kind of man I wanted. I wanted a family man because I wanted him to be there with us. Right. All these things were based around my children. So then to find myself feeling like I wasn't good enough as a mother was heartbreaking. It was devastating. I was grieving. Yeah. I was grieving the life I thought I would have had. No, Vicky, just stop there a minute because I think that needs underlining. I don't think we can just skip over that. You were grieving the life you thought you were going to get, right, as a mum, and you clearly were not experiencing it. And don't forget, at the same time, by this point, I'd left the day job. I didn't go back after I had my second daughter, and I was teaching birthing classes and baby massage and yoga. So mm. I, was, I was only doing like four classes a week or something. But when I was there, I felt like I was this role model. So I would turn up and Oof. be talking about birth. And then in the baby classes, I'd be singing all this. And when I'm in the, when, like when I'm in the zone, when I'm doing what I'm passionate about, I come alive. So yeah. as soon as I hit that room, I'd come alive because I was so passionate about what I was doing. But then I was looking at all these mums sat around the mat that I'd spent six months with through pregnancy. Then they're there with the newborn having these massages. And I was feeling like a failure. And I was looking at them thinking, oh, my God, this is so amazing. Why am I getting this right. wrong? What's you must it? have got total imposter syndrome in that, in that role at that point. Absolutely. Not so much with the birth classes. No. I knew. Yeah. yeah. But with the with the baby massage, mm. Um when I was talking about, but as you can probably tell, I'm very honest. So I, what, this is how I got through it. So for me, I would say the first kind of year was like, whoa. And I went to the doctors when my little one was about one, thereabouts. Mm. I was a male doctor and I started to relay how I was feeling, lack of sleep, the exhaustion, irritability. And he said, he asked a question and I said, oh, I've got two children. And he sat back and crossed his arms. And I knew that was his body language. He'd already made the decision. He knew that he thought, well, it's depression. But it's such an easy diagnosis for any doctor on depression. He go take some tablets. He says, you're depressed. Um, I'm going to get you some antidepressants. And I said, no, thank you. And, and I'm not, and I just want to say this here. There is nothing wrong with taking medication. If anybody mm. needs that. Again, <laughs> I base everything off my intuition. And I knew, even though, like when I left that hospital, I remember uh, doctors, I remember thinking, Am I? Could I be? Am I? And when mm. I started to con- confide in people, I, w- I almost whispered it like it was a guilty secret. I'm depressed. The doctor said I've got depression. Oh, I've been on antidepressants for years. That's what people would say. So many. And I started to think, Why are so many women depressed? And I didn't know these women were depressed until I told them I'd been diagnosed with depression. Because it's yeah. hidden, because it's hidden, because no one's allowed to talk about it until someone opens a door. Not again. There's a massive change in the past 10 years, isn't there? True. Very true. So now it's okay not to be okay. And there's it's, so much it is. around it. But I'm talking 10 years ago, my daughter's yeah, 10, yeah, yeah. So, so nine years ago. Um. So, yeah, so all these women were telling me about depression. And I was like, what? Eh? Now, I know now, and I can hand on heart say I wasn't depressed. I was exhausted. I just needed a bloody damn good sleep and someone to take my kids. That's what I needed. Yeah. That's what I needed. And I didn't take any antidepressants and I was able to get myself well, but it's only in hindsight that I can see why it all worked. The the pieces of the puzzle have clicked over the years. But I just want to say that that was a decision for me that was right for me, but that doesn't mean right for everybody. So what happened for me how I started to heal the very first thing I did and this was probably she was well over a year after I'd been diagnosed with or told her how I was depressed um when my husband got home from work I started to come upstairs and I shut the door and I was like this is my time and honestly probably for the first six months if not more I just sat here this is like my office door get rid of this is our spare room it's like a multi-purpose room and I would just shut that door and I would just sit here and breathe and do nothing and I started to feel better because that's what I needed and I now know mm. through um, I'm certified in human design and I'm a 6'2 in human design I'm not going all of that now but 
my profile type needs time alone because I'm such a big thinker. I need time to process stuff and I wasn't getting any time to process my emotion or my story. And that was kind of, so that was the Mm. first step. And the second step was processing the story. And I decided to do that publicly through a blog. So because I was uh, a birth mentor and did baby massage, I wanted to help other women. I I know my purpose is here to serve and help other women. And I've known Mm. that since I was a kid. And all I wanted to do was make sure nobody else felt that pain. Because I felt like I was the only one going through it. Yeah. And it was devastating, especially because it was motherhood. And what I find is whatever, whatever our main thing is. So it, for some people, it could be their career. For others, it could be marriage. Whatever our thing is, that wherever we kind of have that main expectation of what we are, who we are, that's where we have our biggest challenge. Yeah. So for me, because I was so desperate to be a mom and that's all I ever wanted to do. And I, I had myself on this perfect parent pedestal. I was going to be a perfect parent. Mm. <laughs> oh, you know it. Yeah. So the universe is like, ah, <laughs> Yeah, because that, that doesn't exist. Just for all the listeners, yeah. that does not exist, right? Oh, <laughs> but we think it is in the beginning. You could be, you can be the most perfect parent for your children, but that doesn't make you the perfect parent, right? No, no, there is no such thing. No, so for me, I started to write a blog. Um, It unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. I changed my website last year and I hummed and hard for two years what to do with this old website because I had 60 plus blog posts which shared all of this and I just deleted it. I was like, oh, if I sit and try and fix it and keep them, it's not going to happen. So it's not there anymore. But um, I basically, it was the most cathartic experience for me. Mm. And people would be like, oh my God, read all over the world. It wasn't like anything big and major, but you know, it would tell you it was on WordPress. Someone's read in Japan and Bali. And I'd be like, oh my God, you know, that for me, that was amazing. But people would message me. And obviously the women that were in my class would talk about it and even friends like uh, people would stop me in the street that know me you know through school and stuff and mm. say oh my god I read your blog oh my god that was me especially when I shared I co- there was one I called mother me and it was about the depression when I discovered it and I and how I'd been mothering my children all the time but nobody mothered me and it was when I realized that for me to be the best mom for these little girls I've got to start mothering me I've got to look after me and yeah. so many people resonated with that because mm. as women, we do, we put our children first and then we neglect ourselves. But really, if we want to be there for them, we have to put ourselves yeah. first. And it's society teaches us it's selfish, so, um, but it's not. It's the most selfless thing we can do for our children. And I'm not talking about going out and getting pissed on the weekend, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But if that's what somebody wants to do, it's about just making sure our needs are met, our emotions are heard and felt and, you know, whatever it is that we need. And if it is a good, like a good weekend out, let your hair down, get drunk, then we've got to do that. It's whatever we need needs to be fulfilled. Exactly. Because what, what is it? We stop our own lives because we have our children. Like what is that teaching our kids that they have to stop their lives when they become an adult? Like that's, that's horrendous we can't teach them that yeah and for me my blog when I first started it was called mother in a dream because I have this big dream this big vision of my dream life and I didn't want to not have that as a mother but I couldn't see how to do that as a mother especially feeling how I was feeling so the whole purpose of the blog was the journey to take people through so they could see as I grow Mm. how they can do it too how can we juggle being a mother but also fulfilling our needs and then fulfilling our potential how do we do all of that in 24 hours a day with no support yeah that's it well thank you for darting back and oops sorry (laughs) darting back and covering that so yeah you're allowed to talk about home education now (laughs) I'm gonna let you honestly I think it went where it needed to go that that was far better I think for so long I told the story of that and then I kind of got to the point where I stopped telling that but because I'm not there anymore I'm totally empowered as a parent now but when I wasn't 
you know, I kept telling that stories, but I think there are people still there. So some people still need to hear that, don't they? I and think to know definitely at the end of the tunnel, there really is. Because I, I didn't think there was <laughs> in, you know, in those early years, I used mm. to think, and I was wishing it away. I was wishing them to be older. Yeah. Because I, I can't do The next this. thing, because they might be able to be a bit more independent. They won't need me as much. So I can, so I can do blah, blah, whatever it is. And just on that note, before we go to the home education, I just want to say to anybody who's listening, who's just listened to that and thought, oh my God, that's me. You are doing better than you think you are. You really are. Mm. Because I really felt like I was failing, like I was messing up my kids. I couldn't totally. see all the good that I was doing. I really couldn't. And, and mm. this is where the imposter syndrome come in because people used to say, oh my God, you're the most amazing mom. I wish I was half as good as you. If I was half as good as you, I'd be so happy. And you can imagine. And you're like, and you're like, you want to hear me screaming at my kids. <laughs> um, and now that I've been through my healing journey and you know I've had another child, I never thought that would happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it did. And it's been amazing. He's the best thing since sliced bread. And it's been easy. It's been so much easier having three than it has two. But because I did all that inner work, you know, I was mm. no longer beating myself up. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. I just wanted to say that. Oh, that's yeah, it is really useful to know that. And also what you were saying there is like people were saying, Oh, you're amazing, amazing, amazing. And that's what people see like on Instagram and and even just based on basic Facebook posts, they see everyone's best, right? You don't, most people don't put up all their worst moments on Facebook for everyone to see, like the time when um, their kids are not eating food or screaming on the floor. They don't put those up generally. And so we, we're living in this rose-tinted glasses world where everybody's life has got to be far better than ours because we're looking at ours warts and all and we're looking at theirs just as teeny weeny yeah well even now even to this day if I'm in a low mood and I hit Facebook and I see myself I notice myself compare myself to someone I switch it up I'm like oh no yeah. not going there um but yeah people yeah. told me I was an amazing man because I was I am I just yeah. couldn't see it back then yeah so people are telling you you are it's because you are you're just in a place where you can't see it and the yeah. reason I couldn't see it is because I took all those bad things that I didn't like, you know, when I showered, mm-hmm. if I showered with them, I overblew them. Yeah. <laughs> I made the proverbial mountain out of the molehill. But when you're stuck in yeah. your own head that day in day out, you're not seeing that, you're not going, oh, wasn't that fabulous day? I just did a really good thing. You know, you're not, you're beating yourself up. Yeah. And perfectionism is, is rife. And so many women, because one of the other ways I started to heal was through mindfulness. And I actually taught a mindfulness retreat for a while. And I used to get them to write down what their strengths were. And then I'd say, right, okay, if you've got perfectionism on there, please cross it off. And I could see them all going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, because perfectionism is not a strength. No. And we thought that we should be perfect, that we need no. to be perfect. And we aim and we think perfection. I'm, perf- I'm perfe- perfectionist. We put it down as a strength. And it's the biggest thing that holds us back and keeps us stuck and keeps yeah. us beating up. Up. Yeah, so, yeah, it's the absence of self-compassion, isn't it? Perfectionism, yeah, which, is what, which is what you need to heal, which is what I developed. Exactly. I still have those, you know. It's not like I'm. Whoa. I still have moments where yeah. I'm, I'm aiming for perfection. I notice it. I'm beating myself up. I notice it, and then I go yeah. to compassion and I say, "This is hard. Mm-hmm. It's okay that this is hard." And that's you know that's the journey that we need to to get to. Yeah. Um, yeah so <laughs> oh but well yeah it's these are all really useful things to be reminded about aren't they um I think I think we need to have it in our ear holes all the time really when we're parents and we're struggling because we hear too much of the opposite all the time and that's I mean that's the aim of this podcast really is to help people feel okay about where they're at um and what the things they're up they are doing whatever they are yeah. So yeah, go on. Tell me what um, happened with the journey with uh, the home education and how, how that okay. sort of evolved. So as I predicted, as my intuition told me, it was a mistake to send my eldest to school. The first two years, she went in initially, a um, couple, couple of weeks, no problem, loved it, skipped in. I was a bit like, mm. oh, cheers, bye, see you later. She was fine. 
But after a couple of weeks, she was like, can I go back to nursery, ma'am? I was like, no, no, you've got to go to school every day now. She went, oh, I don't want to do that. And then she cried every day for two years. I would have teachers prize her off me. It was devastating, absolutely devastating. And wow. it only stopped when after Bobby started school. And even though they weren't even at the same end of the school, they didn't even see each other in the school day, she stopped. And I think part of it was she, she knew she wasn't alone. My sister was there, even though she didn't see her. So um, they went through like four or five, whatever years of, of school. Um, you know, usual little niggles, but it was all right. There was still that intuition in my back of my head and I knew that I wouldn't send them to secondary school. I didn't know how and I didn't know how I was going to pull them out because then they were in the system. So it's so much harder when you're in the system to come out of the system. So, but I just knew it. And whenever I visualize my future, this dream life, they're never at school. I used to think, but how is that going to work? You know, I don't mm. want to sit down at a desk teaching nine or five, like nine or three. That, that's not what I want. How is this going to fit in? So anyway, when Katie went into year five, which was, let me do the math in my head, the, the September before we all went into lockdown. So what would that have been? 19. So she went into year five and all the, the class had all been the same throughout. But that year they decided to mix the two year groups. Now, she was nine, just about to turn 10 in November. And as any parent who has a nine or 10 year old knows, they start in the early stages of puberty, they're starting to identify, they're starting to figure out who am I, mm. you know, like, it's a real identity time. And then they mixed all these kids together and it caused havoc. And this particular boy started to bully her. And I'll not go into the ins and outs of all of that, but in a nutshell, um, she started to decline. Now she's what I would describe as a confident, sassy, you know, really just confident and happy little girl but also very sensitive so she started to really go down and I went to the school and I said you know this is happening blah 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 this has to stop the teacher said look it, it we've just mixed the year groups it's it's hell to be honest <laughs> she said but by Christmas it'll settle down it says okay so I gave them grace till Christmas going back in January it was still a nightmare I said right this needs on I can see she's not doing well she's not coping well at all here this is horrific so they were trying different things anyway by March came nothing was really happening and I was like this is awful then lockdown just hit us all out of the blue and for me it was a godsend and that initial Ooh. lockdown whatever it was here in the UK I loved it it was one and I'm not talking about the pandemic itself at the minute I'm just talking about my experience of the lockdown was fabulous I loved it my husband had three and a half months off work my little boy was seven months so he had all that time with his dad that he would never yeah. have got we were going yeah. on family walks we were just together all day every day and don't get me wrong there's some downsides of that like my husband's competence <laughs> it was like oh my god this is going to end in divorce <laughs> we're not used to being together all the time but it was, I loved it. I really did. And then when Katie was due to go back to school in the September, she started to get really anxious and really worried again. I was like, it's going to be okay. Mm. Don't, we'll so it. would have that been going into Y6? Six, yeah. yeah. The it last then, year of primary school. Yeah. So she yeah. was then 10, due to turn in the November. So she started in the September. By the end of the first week, she went from a happy, confident self. She came back, bounced back in lockdown. And it was physical abuse. It was verbal abuse. It was mental abuse. It was lots of swear words and threats. It wasn't just tit for tat. It wasn't kids playground stuff. This was real bullying. And it was from a boy. Um, and basically it got two weeks in and she just went, just <sighs> mentally, she was gone. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And I was in the school every day. I said to the teacher the first week, I will be at this door every day until this is sorted. I will ring this school every day until this is sorted. And I wasn't bothered what they thought because I could see the mental decline of my daughter. So at the same time, I had um, I had a reading with, let me just think what you call a mental, oh, not med medical intuitive. And she brought up about Katie and home education. And she said, you need to get her out of school. You need to get her out. And my intuition was saying the same. And I was like, oh, 
God, how do I do it? What do I do? How, you know, because she'd been at school for six years by this point. And mm. I thought, well, how do I do it? I can't, like, like I had a seven-month-old. Well, he would have been just turned one by then. He was still waking through the night. I was tired. I was think I was running my business. I'd just certified as a parent coach in the, whenever it was, at some point that year. I had, you know, I had clients. I was like, how can I do that? I can't take them out. If I took her out, Bobby would want to come out. And I know these are the thoughts that go through parents' heads when they're, when they're considering taking the children out of school because I'm in groups now and I see these messages every day. Oh, my God, how do mm. I do it? How's it going to work? So um, I just I knew I had two choices, basically. I had to choose her or I had to choose her education because I knew that there was nothing that I couldn't teach her myself. Mm. And then I discovered, um, so I said to her, I says, right, give me two weeks to make the decision. So we're in the third week by this point of term. I said, give me two weeks. Just stick in for two weeks because it's not something I can just jump into. This is a life-changing thing. Let's try and work with the school, which we did daily. Let's try and work with the school and see what we can do. And basically it was two weeks to mentally prepare myself and make sure that the decision was right. Because even when you follow your intuition, it is scary. And often the right decision is the scariest decision. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh, it's always the hardest. <laughs> yeah. mm. You know, if we just did what everybody else is doing or did the easy route, it's easy. But when yeah. you're stepping out of the system, that's and know what I'm doing now, I'm completely empowered. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the best thing I ever did. But then I was terrified. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. And because and then, then at so that I- point, it's not just about you is it because it's about your daughter and you've got you've got all that is it the right decision though could this affect other things and your mind is escalating onto all different possibilities and permutations right yeah and then of course as soon as you mention to somebody that you're thinking about it just like the birth stories Mm. you know everybody has their thoughts and opinions and feels like they need to share them so um I started looking into home education because until you're in it, you don't know. And I thought, mm-hmm. like many people, home education means you sit down from nine to three and you teach the curriculum. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And there is, yeah. home education is so freeing. And what I discovered was unschooling. Mm-hmm. And I heard about unschooling. I started to look into that. And I was lit up from the inside. I'm a generator in human design and we have sacral energy. And when we are passionate about something, we are lit up. So I was reading all about this unschooling, how you... You know, children learn best when they're relaxed and happy and want to learn, which, you know, come on, makes perfect sense. And it was just all about how if we follow their passions and interests, they're going to learn. Oh, my God, I was on fire. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, how have I not heard of this? So I just dove headfirst into all this research and study around it. And then I just felt so empowered I thought this is it this is the this is what I've been visualizing this is that dream I had this mm. is why I was sitting at a desk I wasn't sat nine or three teaching them they were learning through living yeah it, just the very act of being alive the learning and getting on board with their passions I'm all for that I'll do anything with that yeah. you know what I mean because that is my passion it's empowering people and getting them to fulfill their potential hell yes I can do that so yeah. it was like it was just a total light bulb um I'm not going to say it was still easy because it wasn't that certainly helped but it's still a big decision so I just obviously spoke to my husband and again he was dubious still has his doubts and moments now but he believes in me yeah and he knows that I will not fail my kids um so we took them out so um, so with that just um interesting about um how how you how you went about doing that the deregistering process and then what um involvement the local authority had with you because I know that more recently there's been new legislation meaning that you have to do certain things and um I've heard a lot of talk about unschooling being not a thing that people can do anymore because it doesn't fulfill the criteria so, yeah, if you can just tell us a bit about that side of it, it'd be really yeah, useful. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of the new stuff, nobody really knows yet how that's going to go. But for me, the process of deregistration was simple. I wrote the school a letter, told them Friday's the last day, they'll not be coming back. The head asked if I would have a meeting, and I was happy to. I wanted to, 
Um, he actually didn't really address me in the meeting. He just talked to Katie. He barely even looked at me. Mm, yeah. And I thought, well, at the end of the day, the school failed her. The school failed her 100% because they weren't able to keep her safe and protect her. Um, the teachers that she had did their very best. They did. And I will say that. But the school system failed her. Mm. Um, and I think on some level he knew that and he couldn't look me in the eye so that was all fine I, I, I wrote the letter had a, a meeting took them out um, and then the school get in touch with the local authority and let them know that the child's been taken out of education the home educated the local authority got in touch they ask you to do a learning uh, learning philosophy they ask you to That's provide yeah. what you're going to do I loved that I loved writing that <laughs> By this point, I was like, I'm on fire. This is it. This is it. So I just wrote all about how I was going to educate them. And, you know, I believe in child-led education, which I do and I always have. Don't forget, I was talking to my friend 20 years ago about yeah, how I yeah. integrated with the school system. And suddenly I felt so empowered that, hang on a minute, why, why do we do this? Why do we think we have to fit in the system? Why do we think that there's only one way to educate a child when actually the real research, the research on how children learn, it's a complete opposite mm. of sitting in the nine of three. That's not how a development brain learns. So I wrote the um, thing for the LA. They were happy with that. They said we'll be in touch in a year. Um, and I think the I think the hardest thing, not hard, but the the most frustrating thing about home education is. You have to write this learning report, which I totally understand. You write the learning report to let the education authority know what you've done that year so that they can ensure that the child's got a suitable education. Um, but you, they're constantly learning. So you can't write down everything. Like everything no. I'm in the beginning and, oh, my God, it's just not possible. And then when you come to sit, so like last November, December, whenever they asked for it, when I sat down to try and write my report, I was like, oh, shit, now I've got to remember a whole year of things. And there were certain things I'd wrote. But um, I wrote, it took me like six hours to write two reports because I, there was so much. I did four pages each on an overview, just an overview. Mm. Of so it's amazing. Like we think because people are so ingrained in the system and this is it, this is the curriculum. But actually we can take that curriculum and that's what I do. I, I look at what they, they would study in the school year and I bring that into everyday life. All right, yeah. so they would do poetry. So let's learn some poetry. Let's do that. Or what are you interested in? So my eldest um, is massive into acting now. So we've got her in an acting class. She's writing her own monologue. So we bring all of our English work into that. You know, and she's doing so many different things around this acting. She does SFX makeup. Her creativity is off the charts. Wow. Um, you know, she's just phenomenal. Our story writing ability is phenomenal. So we get our books to empower, like to encourage that further, you know, like, um I love those poem books I think they're really good so there's a they've got a creative writing one and we just make mm. sure that whatever their project is whatever they're passionate about we facilitate that we make sure they've got mm. the results to, to go deeper and then I bring the core curriculum of English and maths into that so yeah. for me when it comes to write the report that was my first one now I'm going to say this and I totally haven't done it yet I started when we do any because I'll just go with this bit first because I believe in a child-led education my eldest is very self-led mm -hmm. so she will literally I'll give her a project and I'll not go into them because there's so many I give her a project and she goes off and she's flying mm -hmm. my second oh, that's brilliant. who's nine she very much needs my sit down support yes so we do do so this is where Uns real unschoolers would say oh she's not an unschooler <laughs> I hate labels because you know so many people think oh you've got to do it this way it's so good. they um, can be useful to a degree but then they can be yeah. unhelpful when you feel you have to be strictly to it yeah initially the unschooling label was great but now I don't have a label I'm just a home educator so mm -hmm. with my second she isn't as self-directed as our sister so we do workbooks, but she enjoys workbooks. So I get workbooks and we do maths and English via that. And we've got French and whatever she wants to study. So we'll pick a topic each month. <coughs> I'll say, what do you want to know about? Trees. Okay, let's go to the library. Volcanoes next month. Okay, let's go to the library. And we get books. 
and we study what she wants to know. And then mm. we do core curriculum maths and English through the workbooks. Yeah, awesome. So the report writing is a pain because it takes a long time. Um, I will get better with that. Now I've done it once, I know what they want. And actually I put so much in where really they just want the core details. Like they want to say they've got a full education, but more detail on the maths and English. <clears throat> So now yeah. when we sit down and do maths and English stuff, I try, sometimes I do, mostly forget. I make a little note there and then what they learned, how they were at the beginning, how they progressed, so that when I come to write the report, I can just type that up. And yeah. that's been a lot easier for me. Yeah. Yeah, that would be much easier. It's interesting because um, I've been home educating since the beginning. I've, um, I've never been asked to write a report so I'm like, please don't, I don't ever want to have to revise a report, please. It is a lot of pressure because you are constantly yeah. thinking about it. And for me, I'm not one of these organized people who write it down straight away. If I did, like yeah. I've just said, I, try, I do try. If I did that, it would be easy because I would just pick that up and write it. Yeah, but it's but, not always that easy, is it? And when you're, you're doing other things as well. And yeah. so you're just like, oh, well, I've got a moment. So I'm actually going to do 10 minutes on my business or I'm going to do this. I'm not going to write down what I've been doing, even if it's shooting yourself in the foot. I did have to do reports for um, their dad for a few years, but because he never read them, um, I stopped start writing them. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how I've managed to like go under the radar with that because I, ha- I am known to the lo- local authority because you don't have to be known to a local authority as a as someone who's never been in the system um but but yeah I've managed to bypass it so I'm like crossing fingers to stay yeah. that way. No, no it's so uncertain at the minute how things are going to go and I'm just kind of um I'm just open-minded about it I'm just open to see what happens you know I, what I don't want is any restrictions on terms of what, what we have to teach and when we have to teach because yeah. For me, freedom is my biggest, one of my biggest values. And that's the best thing about getting out of the work system and being self-employed and yes. getting out of the school system and being home educated. I love nothing more than watching my two and nine-year-old playing on the morning and building blocks at nine o'clock and knowing everyone else is rushing around. And yeah. I love <laughs> it. Don't get me wrong, by two o'clock when I'm pulling my hair out some days, I think, ah, you know, there's highs and lows of everything, but the freedom that it gives us you know two o'clock on Thursday we just go for a walk or down to the park or to the beach wherever we want to do um yeah so I don't we'll just see where it goes but I absolutely love that freedom and in terms of my daughter and my mental health she was diagnosed with depression and anorexia and over the past year and a half I've got my baby back she is more empowered than dark she is and that's a whole other podcast in its own but she is and it's through home education it's through getting her out of the friggin school system mm. the broken system and having her at home where she should be and i know some parents are going to get triggered off that last comment there is some children that thrive in school and if you're one of those parents you're lucky but there are many 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 more that aren't so i think we all need to like not place any judgment on anyone i don't judge parents who send the children to school because i did it and because most parents need it, they rely on it. That's how the system's, yeah. it's created to, for us to rely on it. And not everybody's in a position to be able to take the child out of school. And I see parents in the groups, the home educating groups, whether they're a single parent or, you know, the all kinds of different stories where they're saying, oh my God, I really want to do this. How do I? And I feel for them so much because they're stuck and they want to get them out, but they're so afraid. And I know what that feels like because I was mm-hmm. there. And I'm fortunate enough that I was already working from home. Yeah. You know, my husband works. So it was, I was in a position where I could do it easily, yeah. relatively. You know, it still wasn't easy, but easier than it is for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been amazing. She has absolutely thrived. That's so wonderful. So you've really, really managed to support her when she really needed you which was which is what you ultimately your dream as a parent is to be able to support your kids when they need you and you you did just that in the in the way that she really needed it and not just in a way that um that kind of fitted was convenient you know because it was inconvenient but you did it anyway because it was the right thing to do 
and that is that is a brave hard step isn't it and that's why you obviously took that time that is su- such a really interesting journey Vicky and it's yes mirrors so many aspects of my life <laughs> obviously I had decided to home educate before but yeah. but yeah apart from that <laughs> um so I've got some rapid fire questions for you Vicky if you're up for it yeah go on. Right. <laughs> worst thing about being a parent oh for me without a doubt not getting enough time to myself because I'm the kind of person who needs a long time like most people yeah. need air and that I have fixed now so literally my husband gets home at six I'm upstairs till eight nine o'clock at night I have that time four nights a week because we still want that family time so that for me is the hardest thing still not enough time but it's I get time yeah what is the best thing about being a parent oh my god how to choose just one I think <laughs> I think for me, it's just the sheer love that I have for my children. When I look at them, I literally, it's like, and gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions. I have so much love and gratitude that like literally oozes from me. And that to me triumphs all, you know, the hard times because, you know, it can be really hard. But Mm. when I look at them and I just really look at them, that, that feeling of love for me is yeah do it awesome okay parenting being a parent did it break you down lift you up or a bit of both all of it yeah yeah baby number one lifted me baby number two nearly broke me and there's not blaming her it's the situation what happened yes and baby number three lifted me higher Yeah. yeah yeah and do you feel like you've stayed there since then or have you come yeah, back down again or journey over the past 12 years now when I have moments because that perfect parent doesn't exist so now when yeah. I have those where in the past I would have beat myself up I would have been self-critical I would have judged myself I would have said horrible things to myself mm. now I go to compassion yeah I still have moments where I might judge but then yes. I come back to compassion I come back to my need and when yeah. I blip no okay hang on here there's a limit in belief some emotion to clear so I do some healing I yeah. do a lot of work on myself then I think okay there's there's a trigger my needs aren't being met what do I need oh my god I haven't seen another human being for three weeks I need connection mm-hmm. or I'm hungry I need food yes hungry so- <laughs> <laughs> yes I get very hungry <laughs> the kids know that they're like she's eating just let her eat quick <laughs> Um, I forgot the question now. Sorry. No, you know, you you you've you've answered it so very well. It was the lift um broke you down and lift you up and stuff. So, what is your favorite thing about you, Vicky? For me, I think my favorite thing is my determination. So I never give up. Like when I've got my heart set on something, I go for it and mm-hmm. I make it. It's my honesty because I really value honesty and I am honest with people. My friends come to me for my advice and they'll, they'll, they'll always get asked, do you want the truth? Do you want the real one? Or do you want the diplomatic one? And they're like, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it like it is. Um, and I think just, I really care. I really mm. care about people. And even when I'm at my lowest, like when I look back now, even when I was rock bottom, I wanted to help other people because I didn't want anybody else to feel like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like them care that much. Even when I I need, I still want to give to others. Yeah. Still yeah. It may it, then it, that can lift you in itself because you feel worth it, worthy of something because yeah. you're well, supporting you know, someone else. Like my journey to heal was in order that I could help other people to heal. So mm-hmm. helping other people healed me. You know, it helped me heal myself so that I could be a role model to say, "Hey, this is how you do it. Please don't yeah. suffer. This is how yeah. I did it. Yeah. Do that." yeah totally what is your what do you think the most important job of a parent is I think for me it's to raise empowered kids and that's quite broad so I think it's just to love them as they are love the child that's right in front of you because we have so this the parenting culture is it's getting better but a lot of it's about having obedient children yeah. You know, if you follow traditional parent practices, mm-hmm. it's about controlling your child so that they're obedient and they're, they're good. Children are good. And if we just see them in that yeah. goodness, 
Yeah, and they don't have to perform a certain way to be good. They are, they inherently are good. Yeah. 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 Um, That's perfect. Thank you so much for that, Vicky. So before we go, um, do you want to um, tell us a bit about what you what you do and how you support people and where we can find you? Well, my journey is kind of always evolving because I'm always growing. And when I learn something new that empowers me, I then start to teach that mm-hmm. to, to teach others. So it's evolved so much over yeah. the past 10 years. Um, but what I'm most passionate about and what I'm here to do, what I know my purpose is, is to help people achieve their full potential. And for me, I work with mothers because, you know, I think it's so much harder when you have children. And I think if I work with mothers, it's a double whammy because I help the mother and then that helps the child. So it's helping yeah. women to achieve their full potential. So it's clear in the past who we think we are, how we should be, letting go of all those shoulds, all that guilt, all that emotional baggage that we have, releasing our trauma and our limiting beliefs so that we can be present for our children and ourselves, but also achieve our full potential because I believe that we're all here for a reason. And if everybody stepped into their full potential, like who they came here to be, without the limits, we would literally change the world. Well, we are. We are doing it right now, Vicky. Yeah, yeah. All of us together, collectively, an amazing, wonderful force. The more people I meet doing this podcast, I'm like, oh, my goodness, we are doing this. It's happening, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Definitely. Definitely. And um, so that's where where can we find you, though, Vicky? You can can add links and stuff to... uh, You can send me links and things, but um, just tell us a little bit. Okay. So I've got a website, Um, Uh vickydrake.com. Yeah, so they can find me on there. Perfect. Stuff on there, but the place I hang out the most, um, if people want to connect, is on Facebook. I've got a group. It's called The Empowered Mama, Be Your Own Guru. Perfect. Um, That's where I, I share lots of free trainings and where I share my paid offers and you know there's a lovely community in there so that's the best yay that's perfect well I'll add those links so um to all the notes and stuff so thank you so much for coming Vicky amazing thank you so much for having me oh it's been wonderful getting to know you thank you bye-bye bye thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with me beth hardy and if you want to connect with me more you can get along to any of my socials your family well-being coach on tiktok and instagram and you can find me at stop the triggers on facebook i hope to connect with you very soon if you have a question that you want answering we might be able to do a podcast all about that so please do drop me a line i'm so grateful for everyone who listens to this podcast see if you can rate and subscribe so we can make it bigger and better every week Get it,